Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We've been in the sermon series uh sermon series in John and uh, John has Jesus has been making claims of himself um, of who he is and he said I am the light of the world who says things like that even the miraculous works like turning water into wine healing of the paralyzed man and feeding of the 5,000 and lots of others were all signs pointing to who he is and this the crowd is starting to believe in him. Verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So in the passage that was read for today, Jesus changes the conversation. It's no longer about him. He's talking about who they are, the Jews, the crowds, about them. Will you believe in me? Only till the sheen of being the newest influencer wears off and the miracles stop, or will you be my true disciple? And becoming a true disciple or not was the issue back in chapter 6. Even his own disciples heard Jesus and did not believe. To use a metaphor, will I be a fair weather fan of the Philadelphia football Eagles team today? They're playing 49ers today. Or, uh, and I've been, I am a fair weather f- fan, when they're doing great, I watch all the highlights. When they're doing terribly, not at all. Or will I be a diehard fan and put the Eagles emblem on my head once a year and remain true through good seasons and bad decades? Which one will you be? Will Jesus, in our minds, simply be an honorary mention in the Christmas season or long after the Christmas Santa elf on a shelf? I still have no clue what elf on a shelf is. Long after that fades, will you trust in Jesus through good seasons and bad? So how does Jesus make true disciples? Three truths that Jesus gives to make true disciples. He gives truth. He gives truth of slavery. He, give, he gives true sonship. Let's go to the first one. Jesus gives truth. You'll see it in verse 32. If you abide in my word, then you will know the truth. And Jesus' word claims truth against falsehood or light against darkness. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Which means to the woman in the adultery sting operation, Jesus' word offers true forgiveness. I do not condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Even those who are skeptical of Jesus 
feel that his words are truth. The officers sent by the chief priests and Pharisees, they didn't arrest Jesus. When asked, why didn't you arrest him? The answer, no one ever spoke like this man. So Jesus says to abide in his word as that truth, meaning remain, remain in Jesus. Stick with the truth. Don't be a fair weather fan. Simmer in it, marinate in it, spend time, set aside time to steam in the word. Let it infuse you. Let it clear the sinuses. Do a deep dive to the point that your heart is affected. Being a disciple of Jesus is not simply nodding your head in acknowledgement. I looked this up. There's two kinds of reasons of why you're nodding. I didn't know this. Usually we think nodding is nodding in agreement, but then there's the other nodding. They're just acknowledging they heard you or heard something, right? Some of you are nodding. You're hearing, but you're not agreeing. See, abiding in Jesus' word is to abide in Jesus himself. John's gospel account begins with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word. He's the logos truth, the truth of the universe. And the disciple is to abide in Jesus, the truth. That means when you read the Bible, the end conclusion has to be Jesus himself. Every part of the Bible, Jesus the word is speaking truth about himself, coming to dwell with his people, and him abiding with them. The big mistake is reading the Bible and coming away with lessons of the moral of the story. A lesson as though that with all of our mind, will, and strength, I can behave correctly in the world. (laughs) See, that's the big mistake. You read the word, you find the truth, so I can apply it. It's about me. I got to do it. We hear sermons and read the Bible, come away with things like, here's morals. We, uh, don't be greedy. Love everyone equally. I mean, this is what sometimes kids take away. Don't be proud. When God tells you to build an ark, you build an ark. Matthew Perry of the sitcom Friends wrote in his book, God doesn't put, here's his truism. Here's the moral of the lesson for him. God doesn't put in front of you that which you can't handle. Disconnected from Jesus. That's just a moral. Good moral lesson for someone struggling with substances, yes. And he, Matthew Perry, was seeking God, God in this, you know, ethereal, like not in Christ's sense, but he was seeking God for solace. Or here's, the other, here's another moral of the story. Be like King Hezekiah. When he received a letter from the enemy, he laid it before God and humbly asked God for his help, and God did. So the moral to the moral of the story is you get a threat from a bully, get threat from a bully. You lay that threat before God, and God's gonna send that bully back home and he will kill himself. Yeah, what the right? <laughs> or be like Ruth, who is loyal to her mother-in-law. Loyal to your mother-in-law, and you'll be rewarded. Is that what we take away from Scripture? Is that what you're listening for when you listen for a sermon? Rather, the truth we are supposed to get is we're supposed to hear from all of Scripture 
that Jesus suffered, died, and resurrected. That's supposed to be the end conclusion of every time you read Scripture. May the Holy Spirit persuade the heart to get this truth. Because when we do, then we begin to abide with Him through all the ups and downs of life, through the seasons, not just Christmas, in the truth of who Jesus is. And here's the good news. Abiding in the truth frees you. It frees you. See, to the Samaritan woman, Jesus offers the water of eternal life that will produce a wellspring of life. See, that frees her. You can be free of relationships with marrying five plus men as the spring of your life. By worshiping Jesus, not worshiping those guys, you can worship Jesus as the spring of eternal life. Jesus offers to Nicodemus, exact opposite of the Samaritan woman, absolutely religious. He visits by night. What is he seeking? He's seeking new birth into the kingdom. How do I get in? How do I enter? Jesus frees him from his life of seeking to enter that kingdom on his own, on his own flesh, in his own obedience. If you get the truth in Jesus, that through Jesus, that's how you enter the kingdom, that frees you, frees you. See, the Jews, however, they push back. You'll see it in verse 33. Do you know, meaning what they're saying, do you know who we are? We are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Never been enslaved to anyone is politically and militarily the understatement of the millennia. Because the Jews, or the Israelites, have been enslaved by every major power in their neighborhood. Right? Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Syria. And at the time that Jesus is speaking, Rome. Right? They've been conquered by everybody. I mean, how can they say that they're not slaves? So they must have been thinking ah, they were free in other ways. Being children of Abraham and thereby being children of God is like being with biblical royalty. I am not the Kim Lee Park. You know, my name, last name is Kim, which means I am of the royal Kims, right, of Korea. There you go. Even the poorest in Israel were to be viewed as free persons by virtue of being descended from Abraham. But here's another possible suggestion. One commentator suggested that the Jews were defining slavery on the inside. It wasn't on the outside. They say, we never inwardly served foreign gods. Look at Daniel and his friends. Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel and the fiery furnace. They say, we obey the first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. To serve another divinity or God would be idolatry and slavery. So the mark of being God's chosen people, they had circumcision through Abraham. They had the law through Moses. And they were like, you know what? He's our father. He's our father. How quickly they forget. Could I ask you, it's possible to forget all of the bad things that you've committed that got you into addictions and slavery and dysfunction and still think that on the inside you're free? Have, Have we not thought that? And isn't it possible to that we play the privileged card 
children of Abraham. I am the child of my father to say that I am free. I, the example came to my mind. Is some, you know, I did a lot of blue-collar jobs. I don't know why I look at Ben, but I had a lot of blue-collar jobs. It looks like he, has a lot of, he had a lot of blue-collar jobs. But I had a lot of blue-collar jobs. But if somebody said, Fuji, you're a blue-collar person, in my, I wouldn't say this out loud, but in my heart, I'm like, do you know who my father is? Do you know who my little grandfather is? Do you know how much, I, how much money I spent in school? I'm not blue collar, see? No, we play that privileged card. I've done that. And Jesus calls the Jews out, verse 39. If you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Jesus is saying, you may be physically connected to Abraham, but spiritually, you're from another father. Right? Another master, verse 44, if we had the same father, you would be responsive to me. Could I ask you, are we disciples of Jesus? How do we know? Do we abide in Jesus, the word? Do we abide? Do you abide? When you read the word, do you ask what is the moral of the story? Or do you ask, where's Jesus in this? Does Jesus' word, the truth of Jesus, what he says, set you free? Or you're just nodding in acknowledgement. The Jews push back on Jesus with, we've been free all along, with a subtext saying, we don't need liberation. We definitely don't need you as a liberator. To rip off the lyrics from Tina Turner in 1985, we don't need another hero. We don't need to know the way home. All we want is life without you. So Jesus gives the truth about slavery. It's the second thing, verse 34 to 35. Jesus is emphatic about giving the truth. You'll see it, verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you. See, this is the OG way of saying, look, not going to lie, or to be honest. By the way, you'll never hear me saying not going to lie. Because it means that the rest of the, all the other things, I'm lying to you. Okay? Jesus slices through the Jews' claim of being offspring of Abraham and have been never enslaved to anyone. This is what he says. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Committing sin is proof of slavery to sin. That's the proof. Everyone is a slave. And I'm going to channel Tim Keller here, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. One of the two big assumptions running through the Bible is that everybody is a slave to something. Everybody. There are two main passages that shows this. Romans 6 says that you can either be a slave of self, ego, and sin, or be a slave to God. It's one or the other. There's no third alternative. Look at the first Ten Commandments. The first of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Either you worship God, the true God, or you will make something else into a God. There's no third alternative. It's not only the Bible that says this. Look, Bob Dylan, the American singer and songwriter, regarded the greatest one of them, wrote the song, Gotta Serve Somebody. 
You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You may be a preacher. Hey, with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. Maybe somebody's mistress or somebody's heir. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. See, is this an overstatement? You're gonna have to serve somebody. No. What Dylan is saying is what. What Dylan is saying is that everybody has to live for something. We all live for something. If there are anything in your life that give you meaning and purpose, that if it's taken away, you go crazy. That's what you're living for. You go nuts. You feel like my life is over. What's the use of going on? Those are the things that control you as a spiritual authority of your life. You have to have it. Therefore, essentially, it's driving you. Everybody is living for something, and whatever it is. You're enslaved to it. Hobbies, side hustles, relationships, affirmation in relationships. Yes, having a family a certain way. You say to yourself, you know what? Isn't it a good thing to have my family a certain way? I'm trying to do this good thing, but then you become so controlling. You let your career abuse you. Or the desire for relationships, you beat yourself up over it, and you do all sorts of things because you just got to have it. Look, everyone is living for something. Everybody is addicted to something. Everybody has something that's driving them. Everybody is a slave to something. The Bible assumes this, and here's the second assumption: if it's true that everybody is a slave to something, and we all got to make a commitment to something, and once you make a commitment to something, it restricts you. You're restricted by it. Any commitment brings a restriction. So if you're committed to a great career, boy, you got to restrict yourself from all these other things that get in the way of that career. You busted a gut in order to get into that graduate school so you could get that job, and boy, you've been restricting yourself all over the place. What does that mean? You're not free. You're not free. You need to be liberated. You cannot serve God, and yet sin. Either you're a slave to that sin, or slaves of righteousness, leading to obedience. To be a slave of sin is truly slavery indeed, for it leads to death. How do you know that? Look at the Jews. The Jews put some other god before them rather than the god of their father Abraham, and their actions proved it. Verse forty-four: You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. See, that's bad news. That's bad news. That's what we do. We don't produce life when we're slaves to sin. It ends up dying, dysfunctional, and ultimately death. Here's the good news. Jesus telling us the truth of slavery—that's a kindness. That's a kindness, because he's telling, look, there's a consequence to that kind of a slavery. It's going to lead to the grave. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but right now, between us 
there is time. We can change. Leon Morris says the the slave's position is temporary. He may, in fact, remain in a particular house all his life. You can look like a Christian in the church all your life, but you have no rights, no sense of security. You cannot be a slave to some other God, ego, or the self, and think that God will ultimately treat you as his own. No. So Jesus invites the Jews and us to, first of all, abide in the truth. Get the truth. Get Jesus Get the truth. Recognize then the slavery to idols and desires leading to sin. And then he says, you got to get sonship. You got to get to the third point. Jesus gives true sonship. You'll see it in verse 35 and 36. A son and a child can remain in the house forever. A son of the family can abide. He has an inheritance. Better to be a child in the house In fact, a doorkeeper, as Psalm 84 says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, living like kings. Better to be shepherds watching the flock by night and hear angels sing and give announcement of Jesus than to be herded in the palace, enslaved to be keeping, enslaved in order to keep his power. Better to live in the certainty of being sons of the Most High than living like orphans on earth. See, Look, this mentality of a slave is very much like an orphan. Jack Miller, pastor in Glenside, PA, once said that uh, there is this orphan mentality. Listen carefully. Here's the orphan mentality, the slave mentality. One feels powerless to defeat the flesh, the sinful part of who you are that is enslaved. Such a person has no real heart victory over pet sins. We all have pet sins. Yet, Even while we have no victory over our pet sins, we have lost our sense of being a big sinner. We don't consider ourselves as being enslaved versus the child of God. He or she rests in Christ, abides in Christ. He or she is seeing more and more victory over the flesh, over the slavery to sin. Yet, interestingly, he sees himself as a big sinner. Do you recognize that? See, the problem is that those enslaved, we try to free ourselves. That's not going to work. <laughs> and there's others of us who be like, you know what? Uh, we're just pretending that we're not enslaved. That's going to go nowhere. No. To live like a son, a child of God, one has to actually become one. Not just to look like one. <laughs> but to actually become one. Here's the truth of how Jesus makes disciples. He himself did not remain in the heavenly house forever. Philippians 2. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus was arrested, died the death that we should have died, to serve us. And his resurrection means that sin and sin-caused deaths are no longer an enslaving power over God's children. That's when death was arrested and my life began. See, Jesus, as the Son of God, he was true biblical royalty only. And him, as biblical royalty, he has the right and privilege to free those enslaved and adopt children to give them life. John 14, 6. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we trust in Jesus, abide in Jesus, we can be certain that we're free. Free indeed. Because Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to those adopted so that the Spirit helps the disciple to cry out to God, Abba, Father. Hmm. See, that's how you know that you're a disciple. That in your heart you say, God, you are my Father. That's how we can know for certain that we're no longer slaves to sin. See, see that makes a huge difference. That this body that is breaking down by sin's impact, that's not the end of you. There's a different life ahead. You can be free of the fear of death. That addiction that you got yourself into or that you had a weakness towards is not how life will be ultimately be lived. No. You don't have to be Matthew Perry spending half his life in rehab and $9 million. No. Acknowledge that you are enslaved. And yes, there is hope in Jesus to free you. (laughs) See, uh, what it means is you're no longer slaves to sin. It means that the son is a better authority and would parent better than you could ever be. You can be free of being the master and commander of your life and your family's life. Look, look, if you continue that way of you living as the master and commander of your life, you will not just be enslaved yourself, but you're going to be enslaving the rest of your family. Uh, this message, it really frees, it's really freeing. You know, one of the things I've already confessed in front of people here is that uh, I was enslaved to this fear of man. And it's not fear of man here. Uh, will you, like me, uh, you know, as a, as a pastor or preacher, I wasn't, I'm not really concerned about that. It turned out that I have a fear of man with the GC leaders. And there's only five of them. <laughs> Those guys, they're messing with my mind. Like, every time I met with them for like months, like, do they like me or not? When I come off that meeting, I'm like, they don't like me. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like struggling. My heart is palpitating, you know, my chest pains. And like that was going on and on. Why? What was I slave to? I wasn't slave to them. Slave to the desire for approval. I needed to be this amazing GC leader trainer that they would follow me to the ends of the earth. (laughs) Whatever I said was like, oh, Pastor Fuji, that was amazing. Amazing, changed my life. Look into Scott Tinloy's eyes. I'm like, I'm not getting that from him. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm like, he's killing me, killing me. And I started reading again for the third time when people are big and God is small. I'm like, oh man, fear of man issues. I need to fear God. I need to fear God because he has already given, approved of me. In Jesus. And it's not just he approves of me in Jesus to make me feel better about myself. No, it's not just a self-esteem issue. It is a sin issue. Who will I serve? Who has already approved of me in giving me righteousness? It is a sin issue. It is a slavery issue. See, how does Jesus, and I had to 
really marinate in that. Walk around Bishop Ranch over and over again to marinate in that. Simmer in that. So how does Jesus continue to make disciples? Abide in the truth of Jesus' word. Read it. Meditate. Marinate. Steep in that sauce. Don't be like me reading the Bible. You know, picking up moral lessons. You know, this is what I used to do. Nodding in acknowledgement. Yeah, I know it's Jesus. And continuing in my slavery to build my own approval. Don't be a fair weather follower. No. You're not abiding in the word to find out how you can free yourself from slavery, which you on your own clearly can't. No. Abide in the word to get the truth. <laughs> but you're going to be walking around. Oh, so what? you're going to walk out. So the moral of that sermon was spend more time reading God's word. No. Mm-mm-mm. No, no, no. Here's the truth you should walk away with, that you are more enslaved than you thought, but God's grace in Jesus is so much more powerful to help you live like a disciple, like a child of God. Abide in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, would you do the thing that you do Get us to stop looking for morality things that we, we who are enslaved to sin, we're just going to go for that. No, of what we got to do. No. Holy Spirit, would you point us to Jesus? Abide in him. Let him be our liberator. Set us free through Jesus' work. Help us to see our slavery to sin how we reject him consistently. The Holy Spirit draws to him, to his truth. And now as we come before, remind us that it is him that we are united to as we come to the communion table. That is he who has given up his life for us. That he has truly set us free. In Jesus' name we pray.